0: All right, Mauro, welcome to the How We Work podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So our company name is Work Human, and your new book is called The Human Side of Innovation. So clearly, we both care about human beings and people. So I think the best place to start today is to ask you to introduce yourself as a human. Who is Mauro, and how did you get to this place where you're so passionate about what you're passionate about?
1: Well, who is Mauro? As you can hear from my accent, I'm Italian, living in New York City, and is a total surprise in my life because I am an Italian that grew up in Italy with parents that never took a plane, never traveled out of Italy. I learned English late when I was 24 because I studied French at school. And so... The fact that today I find myself here in New York City working in an American company, this company is called PepsiCo, many of the people listening to us probably... Are familiar with the name is really unexpected in my yeah. life. And so this is one of the things that probably defined me. I am in a place that I would have never dreamed of when I started this journey in life. I have a new father. I have a daughter that is nine months old that is filling my life and the one <laughs> of my wife, Carlotta, with a lot of joy and light. And well, we'll talk about humans and, and I think kids, children in particular, we can learn so much from them. I'm a dreamer. And from the very beginning, in my personal and professional path, I went after my dream. And it's been always like this. I never stopped dreaming. I always talk about this. I think it's something so important in everything we do. But this is a little bit of me, but we can talk talk more about it. But this is the beginning.
0: I really appreciate that. And there are some similarities to my own story. I was born and raised in Jamaica. And I also never thought that my journey would leave me here. And I don't know, it just fills me with gratitude to know where I am from where I've been. And I think it does color your life.
1: This is so important every day. And I'm not saying this because I'm in a podcast or I'm talking, you know, publicly to people. It's really like these people that know me, they know this. Every day I wake up or during the day and I think I'm so lucky. And grateful yes. and privileged. And I'm like, wow. And I need to make the most of what life gave me. Recently, a friend, somebody, somebody asked me, Do you think in life where you arrived is luck or is talent? And my answer is is a mix of both. And people that think that they are where they are just because of their talent. <sighs> It's so bad. It's so bad for them because it's not uh, realistic. I do think that you can help luck for sure by putting yourself out there, by being courageous, by trying things, by not, you know, leaving your comfort zone, taking risks. The Latins used to say fortune favors the bold or the brave. And what that means, essentially, the brave and the bold is the one that try. They get out of ease or comfort zone and try things. And statistically, the more you try, the more... The probability is that something positive will happen to you. So you can help luck, but at the end of the day, you do need luck. And I thought so much about this in the past year because I have a new daughter. I look at her and I'm like, wow, she has all her life in front of her. And I think about myself when I was very young and my God, she still needs to fall in love and eventually break her heart because it happened to, her or the other to many people and do go through school and exams and all the things that you did in life. She has to do all of this yet. So I I started to think about myself. And if I had to restart my life today, to arrive to where I am today, I need also luck. It's not just talent. It's it's just not just talent. And so I hope that she's going to have both the talent and the luck that I had in my life. And I'm so grateful for.
0: We love gratitude around here. And, you know, she's your daughter. I know she'll have the talent. So one of the things that you just mentioned was risk. And so I want to pick up on that a little bit and ask a little bit more about that, because in doing my research for this episode, I heard you talking about challenging the status quo and how that is related to successful innovation. So can you tell our audience a little bit more about that and maybe give them some advice on how to challenge a status quo for the greater good?
1: Many years ago, I met a person in my life journey. His name is Claudio Cecchetto. In the book that I have wrote, I dedicate a chapter to him. In Italy, is a big name, he's a celebrity, and I met him completely by coincidence. And long story short, we decided to create an agency together. And we were working in the digital world. It was the year 2000 when internet was just starting as a mass phenomenon, And the idea of Claudio was the one of innovating in this world, exploring this new world, understanding what were the opportunities of this world. Imagine today, people exploring the world of metaverse, artificial intelligence, or actually not even today, probably a couple of years ago. It was really early. And so what I learned from him in those few years that we worked together was that everything he was looking at, every single thing, everything... He was always thinking, how can I do something that nobody ever did before? It was a mindset. So it could be a big project, but it could be the smallest everyday kind of project. Translated in my world of design, imagine you need to do a redesign for Pepsi, for a specific campaign, for Halloween. And we've been doing so many of these projects that a designer could be like, okay, I go automatic. I know what to do. I do the same thing. And instead, the innovator is somebody that thinks, even in the little project, how can I do something different all the time? It doesn't mean that you will always succeed, but it means that you're going to have that kind of mindset. That's the starting point. If you have that mindset, the risk by definition, because the moment you change the status quo, the moment you do something different from the person before you, by definition, you're incurring a risk. Everything that is innovative requires a form of risk. And so the mindset is key. Taking risk without having the mindset is so tough. It's so difficult. The second thing that is key is to have a dream, to have a vision. We started this conversation talking about dreams. So why would you try to innovate every time, even the little projects? Is Anyway, it's not easy, you know? Well, the dream is the one of creating value, creating something new and really gift society, the people you serve, the people in front of you with that newness, with that value, with something meaningful to them. Uh, I was talking with Claudio recently, I interviewed him for a podcast in connection to my Italian book, Claudio doesn't speak very good English. And I was asking him, Why he was behaving in this way? What was the return of everything he was doing? I was talking particularly about this idea of kindness and love that is at the center of my philosophy and everything I do. And he gave me an answer that was beautiful. He told me, well, I just do it because when I look at people and I see them excited, the guy works in music, he's a DJ, he's a music producer, I see people at the concert excited, laughing, in tears, emotions. I'm like, wow, this gives me so much satisfaction. So why does he do it? Well, to create value for them. Value for them, in this case, is enjoyment, is happiness, is fun. And this is why I do my job. This is why we all should do our jobs, to create value for others. This is how the idea of jobs... Was invented thousands of years ago by people that were living this planet. And at a certain point, they realized that they needed to connect one with the other to help each other and organizing themselves. Each of them in these early communities in our planet, in these communities, each person had a role. I do something, you do something else, and we help each other. And this is what today we call a job. And everything was designed and thought and conceived to really help the community. So I have a role so that I can help you and we can help each other. Then with thousands of years, you know, over time, we started to scale up. These kind of organizations. We invented the idea of companies and brands, and we forgot the original idea of the job, the idea of creating value for others. And we took that idea of creating value for others, by the way, I call loving others, caring for others. We removed that component and instead we started to work for profit, To generate profit. And by the way, the moment you start to be organized in big organizations, in big companies, and you have hundreds of thousands of people working for profit, if you forget the idea of generating value for people, if you generate services, products, brands that are mediocre, that are not that meaningful for people, but then you protect all of these with your barriers to entry, with the size of your business, Mm -hmm. with the scale of your organization... Essentially, you're generating profit for few people in that organization, and you betrayed your original idea of creating value for the people you serve, for the society, for the planet, for us as human beings. And the beauty, and I will close, you see, I, I talk a lot, <laughs> but the beauty of the age we are living in, the moment we are living in, is that these things is changing. It needs to change. Not because... Somebody realized that it's not good, but because competition is changing, the competitive landscape is changing. Those barriers to entry to protect products, brands, and services are crumbling down under the winds of globalization, new technologies, the digital world. And so either you create something valuable for people, meaningful for them, something extraordinary for them. If you don't do it in your industry, sooner or later, a startup, a new entrepreneur will arrive. And we'll do it on your behalf. We know, any company should know that there are millions of people out there thinking, how can I build a startup to go against yes. that product, that brand, establishing an industry, analyzing what people want, their frustration, their needs, their desire, their dreams, and creating something that is unique and change the game.
0: So it all comes back to keeping people at the center.
1: Yeah. Look, in the book that I wrote, the title is The Human Side of Innovation but the subtitle is the part that I love the most. I wanted that to be the title, but then together with the publisher, we realized that it was going to be totally misleading as a title. The subtitle is the power of people in love with people. So if you just read that as a title, you may think that this is a novel, you know, a romantic (laughs) novel or something like this, but what is this people in love with people? There are three dimensions of that love. First, is the human centricity that I just described. So it is loving the people you serve. Really starting from the idea that I'm going to create something extraordinary for them. That is very different than starting from the idea, I'm going to make money with it as a person mm-hmm. or for my business. I analyze the market. I'm going to grow X. And therefore we need to enter in the product category. And it's completely different. These kind of people, they think, they observe reality, they understand if there are frustrations or mad needs, dreams So people are like, okay, I really want to create something amazing for them. They get excited by the idea that, that something amazing sooner or later could arrive to people and could really beat value in their lives. This is the first form of love. The second one is the love for the people surrounding us. So essentially translated in a company is the love for your colleagues, for your organization. And this, that idea of caring about them and taking them with you and understanding that to succeed with your dream, with your idea, you need to work with others. And you want to do that, having fun, enjoying it, feeling this sense of kindness and trust in the organization that by the way, makes your life better. It's not just about the job, but it's transcend the work dimension is about you and your life. And the third dimension of love is the love for what you do. And this is so important. If you don't love what you do, you're not going to take that risk. You're not going to find the courage and you're not going to find the resilience to go against all roadblocks and difficulties. And by the way, you're going to be miserable at work in <laughs> yes. what you do. So if you don't like what you're doing, Try to find something that instead gives you satisfaction. And understand, I'm not that naive. I understand that work is work. You need to have a revenue, you know, to feed your family. It's not always possible. But try once, a couple of times. Try and you may be surprised that actually by trying, you find your way and you find a way to feed your family and also do something that gives you satisfaction. And it's going to make you a happier person also at home with your family, by the way. I
0: love that advice because I am similarly passionate about my job and I wish that for every human being. It changes your life. it's also so refreshing to have a business executive talk about things like kindness and love and empathy. So thank you so much for that. I want to stay on this theme of relationships and people, and I want to go back to Claudio. Because if I remember correctly, you refer to him as your mentor by osmosis. Yeah. And you talk <laughs> about different types of mentorship. So can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, look, I profoundly believe in mentorship I never had a formal mentor in my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) So in the book, I talk about three different kinds of mentorships. One is what I call the ideal meta mentor. Another one is the mentor by osmosis. And Claudio is the example, is the story that I share in the book. And then the third kind of mentorship is what I call the virtual mentor. So let's start with the ideal meta mentor. That is something that has been very useful for me in life. I'm going to share this idea with a story that I talk about also in the book. Many years ago, I was at the beginning of my journey in TRIAM. So I spent 10 years in PepsiCo as chief design officer of the company. 10 years earlier, I was entering the 3M, the multinational corporation 3M as a design coordinator. And in 10 years, I became the chief design officer of the company, built design from scratch inside the company, moving from Italy to the US. So a beautiful journey. So I entered this company, I was 27, with the role of managing design for the European business in the consumer office. That was one of the six businesses of the company. Now, it was a big role, for a kid, you know, I was 27, I was not a very experienced. And what I mean with big role is that that kind of role put me in contact with very senior people all the time. We're redesigning products and defining the strategy for those brands. And so here I am at the beginning of those years that I interact with these senior people. And I remember specifically, there was a meeting where we talk about what to do with design. I finished the meeting. I write an email to all the people in the meeting, telling them what to do. What is their task? Now, the problem was that I I was a medium-low level coordinator, not even manager, in the company. And in that email, I started to give tasks to top executives. Dr. Pinna, you need to do this. And (laughs) Dr. Nozai, you need to do that. Obviously, nobody answered to that email. And then a few days later, a kind soul, one of the person in the meeting, I met her and she coached me, she mentored me, she told me, look, Everything you've wrote is right. And it's great that you're thinking in that way. Essentially, you are the design expert. So it doesn't matter your level in the company. You are the expert. In your mind, you are a peer of those individuals and you are asking them to do certain things. That's all great. The problem is that you're not his peers in the, in the organization of the company. So there is a message and it's good. Your message was good, but you need to change The tonality, the code that you use, the way you are delivering the message. And so that was a wonderful moment of learning. And by the way, this is something we should all do. We should have the courage to give feedback to people. This is so important. And too many people, they feel uncomfortable. Feedback is the most precious gift that you can give to people, even when the feedback is tough. Find a way to do it. Do it in a kind way but give feedback, giving feedback is actually kindness. And that is very different from being nice. Too many people try to be nice and they don't help others be kind and give feedback even when they're tough. But anyway, the story is another one. So after the moment I was like, wow, yes, I made a mistake. In the moment you make the mistake, you're not aware of it. We're never aware of it. And so I needed some filter, some technique some way to avoid the mistake in the future. So I came up with something very simple. Every time I was going to write an email after that day, I was going to think, and I did think, how would that senior executive write an email? All of a sudden, essentially, this simple technique helps you change in perspective. And you maybe write something that makes perfect sense for you, but then if you think I'm receiving an email like this from that man or that woman... He or she would never write something like this. It's a powerful filter. Now, you can apply the filter to anything else. And this is how I came up with this idea of the meta-mentor. Essentially, in the book, I talk about 23 different characteristics that these amazing innovators, entrepreneurs, individuals that I call unicorns should have. From the ability to dream, to the ability to make things happen, from kindness, to empathy, from resilience, to curiosity optimism and so much more so for it is very difficult to find in your life a mentor that embodies all these characteristics to the extreme and especially if you live in a little town in the middle of China or Texas or Italy it's even more difficult because you don't get in touch with so many people of the caliber in in your life but there is a high probability that no matter where you live you know a person in your circle that is really really curious Another one is the kindest person ever. Another one that is such a great dreamer. And another one that is so good when you ask her something to execute things. So every time, every day, when you have these characteristics and you're like, okay, I need to work on them. I need to become kinder, more optimistic, more curious, you know, able to think bigger. I need to be more resilient in this moment. Think about the person, for instance, If I take a flight and I go all the way to Mumbai in India and arrive there in the evening and I'm tired and the day after I have a meeting with my team and then I need to fly to another country, instead of just crashing on the bed and be like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Think about the super, 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 super curious person that you know, the friend that you have. What she will do in a moment? She will stay in the room or she will go out to explore, even for a few hours, Mumbai, and get in touch with people and see how they behave, how they eat, how they work. So this is an example. You can build your own mentor by taking multiple people and extraordinary qualities you find in these people, all the way to the ability to write an email in the right way with the right seniority. (laughs) I love that idea. And by the way, you can be inspired by thinking how they will behave. Often, even just that is so powerful. Or eventually you can call them or write them an email or talk to them. How would you do? It's a moment I'm so down, you know, it's so difficult this moment. And you know that that person is so positive and optimistic and resilient. Stefan, what would you do in this moment? And so that's so powerful. And you can elect them. They don't need to know that they are your (laughs) mentor. None of the people that I elected to be my meta mentor knew they were my mentors. So that's one example. I could go on hour and hours to talk about the other two, but in one sentence, the mentor by osmosis is somebody you are in touch with that doesn't know is your mentor, but somehow you are there ready to absorb as much by the interaction of this person. You proactively elect this person to be your mentor. The difference with a meta mentor is that this person embody many characteristics. You're in touch every day with him or her. The virtual mentor instead is somebody that is far away from you. In the book, I talk about a guy that was the head of design of Philips in Holland. I was in Italy, very few interactions, but those few interactions, Change my life are the reasons why I decided to study English, for instance, and leave Italy and go to Dublin to study the language and actually do university exams in design in the language I didn't know because that was my only way to get abroad and study the language. And it's the reason why I entered Philips and, wow. and many things he did for me, but with minimal effort. And by the way, we talk about the time where social media didn't exist. Today, to elect people to be your virtual mentors is so easy because you can find them in social media. You can follow what they do. You can think about what they will do in your situation. You can write to them and it's enough one sentence, one word, you know, how many people over the years wrote me back because I wrote them something, or even because I didn't write anything just because they were following me in social media, thanking me because a word that I say, a sentence that I say, helped them, taking a decision in life, changing trajectory, taking the risk that then gave them what they were looking for. This is exactly what happened to me many years ago with Stefano Marzano, with this head of design of Philips, this idea of the virtual mentor. But once again, it's up to us. It's up to the people listening to us. You know, it's your curiosity, your willingness to be fertile ground for the seeds to be planted and for the tree to grow. It's all about you. Go out. Find your mentors. They don't even need to know, but they're out there. Just grab them and be inspired by them.
0: I love that idea of finding inspiration from other people, different places, and looking for traits that you want to emulate, right? And then targeting people as a result of that. But I also know that you believe in being yourself. As I'm looking at you, Mauro, you're a pretty fashionable guy. (laughs) So I want you to talk a little bit more about... How do you stay authentic to yourself? How does the way you express yourself play into how you think about innovation? And then I want you to give our listeners some advice around how
1: they show up at work. Yeah, look, this point is so important. I think one of the key traits of any Innovator. By the way, when I say innovator, this applies to anything in our life. You don't need to be the inventor of the iPhone. You can innovate in your career path, changing job and growing and being happy. At the end, the goal is to be happy, by the way. We can talk more about this at the end. But curiosity. Curiosity is a key characteristic that drives you to be inspired. To learn by talking to people, finding these mentors, role models, and inspirators online and in different arenas, reading books, traveling. So with this curiosity, you absorb inputs and know-how and ideas and everything. But as you said in your question, then you need to understand what is your unique point of view, your original point of view. It's so easy to just absorb and become just many of the same molds. You know, you're just the output of the same mold. You're like everybody else. Instead, learning, studying, informing yourself is so, so important, but then you need to take all these ingredients and create your own recipe, have your own point of view in life. And what that means essentially is that the more you learn, the learning part is the first step. The second step is the reflection. So start to think about everything you learn And by the way, diversity in this is so important because if you, connect with people in different ways, you know, in real life, through books, in different ways, they think different from you. So diversity of any kind, then you can really put all the different elements together and build up your original point of view. If you just listen to people that think exactly like you, that have your background, that if you live in that kind of bubble, and by the way, this is the risk of social media today, because we live in this bubble because All the people that we follow or that are in our networks, they mirror who we are. And so often we're totally ignorant of what's really going on in the world because we live in this kind of bubble. So bursting the bubble, embracing people that are different from us, including when we think that they're wrong, even that, listen to them because it may either reinforce your ideas and give you additional arguments to go on with your idea, or it could reveal some blind spots that we may have. So all of this is important because once again, we need to really like a chef. You put all the ingredients together and you build your original recipe. In the book, I talk about Michelangelo, the famous sculptor and artist. At the end of his career, he started to create what he called the non-finished or the unfinished in English or the slaves were two different words that he was using for the same kind of sculpture but essentially were sculpture that were half finished so you will see the raw material the raw marble on the bottom of the sculpture and then out of this marble at a certain point you start to see the statue the beautiful man the beautiful woman that Michelangelo used to sculpt the idea there was it was a very philosophical idea and theoretical idea his point was The art, the sculpture in this case, is inside the material. And the role of the artist is the one of carve out the material to free up. That's why the slaves, to free up these people. And I use this as a metaphor for our life. We are born raw material. We're born raw marble. My daughter now is raw marble. And then it's our role to take the sizzle of life made of the experiences that we live in life and start to carve out the stone and to create our own unique original figure. You don't want to look exactly like all the other sculptures. You need to understand what you want to become and then have as many experiences as possible to learn as much as possible to become who you want to become. And by the way, be ready to change a little bit that trajectory during the years, because the more you learn, the more you realize that maybe you want to be slightly different. And the kind of maura I am today is different than the one of, I eventually wanted to be when I was in my twenties, but I realized that, by the way, so close instead to who I was as a child and what my parents wanted me to be. So that's also very interesting. You may change trajectory at a certain point and then go back, you know, but yeah.
0: Nice. So we've been talking a lot about people, relationships, kindness, empathy, but then we've also talked a little bit about technology and social media. And one of the things I've heard you say is technology is an enabler. So can you talk a little bit about how you resolve the idea of being people first, but also believing that technology is an enabler? How do those two things go together for you?
1: In my professional journey, in the companies I work for and in other companies, so many times in conversations about innovation, people talk about technology. If you Google innovation, so much comes out of the search that is connected to the world of technological innovation, the role of technology. You invest as a government, as an an incubator, or as an organization of any kind in innovation, so many times you go to technology. And This is true. I mean, technology is so important, but too many times technology becomes the ultimate goal. You forget that what you need to do is to think about how to serve those people in the best possible way and leverage technology at their service. Another dimension of this conversation is in the role of technology in the society today. And there's so many people that think that technology could actually damage The human beings of today, their ability to find a job, for instance, you know, there is this debate on artificial intelligence and data and the fact that they will replace humans. In the world of design, I recently posted in my social media and Instagram and LinkedIn some work that I did. Spontaneously and by myself on artificial intelligence. Obviously, we're working also as a company in this, but you know, some design work that I did with artificial intelligence. And there were so many likes and so many people loved the idea, but so many pushback as well. You know, as anything that is new, any new technology is often polarizing. And people afraid that this technology could be a threat to creativity, to the human touch. And this happens all the time. You know, that when there is a new technology, people are like, oh no, rejecting, pushing back. And in reality, new technologies are there to enhance what we do, to help us, to take us to the next level. Yesterday, I had a meeting in the company about a very important project we we're working on. And somebody was presenting some ideas. We were in a room with 20 people in the room and there were this concept of what to do with this brand. And I I was like, oh, I think we should do something different with that specific concept. But it was difficult to explain by word what I meant. So we go on with the presentation. While the guy is presenting, I take my phone and I start to generate ideas in AI with artificial intelligence. In a couple of minutes, I had Dozens of concepts of the same idea generated with a different approach that I showed to everybody. Everybody, wow! I mean, you did it just in two minutes. Obviously, they are not the final idea. That's a wonderful example of technology in the cases as an enabler as an amplifier. It gave me first the possibility to express myself in a more impactful way. Everybody would understand what I was talking about. What I showed to them was just a prototype was not final at all. You need a human touch to take that idea and really create something that makes sense for people, for the company and everything. So this is another example where technology can be there to amplify us as human beings, as society. And also if we think about automation and all the new technologies that are impacting the way we work today, for me, instead of having a conversation around, wow, this technology is going to take the place of people and we're going to have less jobs in our society. The conversation should be on, well, if we increase the ability of companies of produce with less cost and therefore with less human beings that are replaced by more effective technologies and automation, well, we should rethink many things in the way we employ people. In the numbers of days, for instance, that people work in a company is one of the reasons why many of these companies are testing the four days per week or anyway, there are ways to give time back to people with flexible working and in so many different ways. But we're exploring all of this because there is this general awareness that the productivity of these companies today is exponentially higher than the one that the same companies or the same industry had 100 years ago. So all this additional time should be also given back to people in a way or the other. And so in the overall social conversation about the role of technologies, the dream will be the technology do actually everything we do as human beings. We don't need to work anymore. (laughs) And we find a way to support our society with a different kind of organization. Then people will always, always have the need of expressing themselves by doing stuff because it's a key component of our needs in the Maslow pyramid. We do things, our jobs so many times defines us and give us an identity. It's so important. It's so important in the definition of our happiness. So I do want a society in 100 years where there is this idea of, job, commitment, doing an effort to create value for yourself, for others. is part of our happiness. Without that, it's so difficult to be happy. In the book, I closed the book talking about how to design happiness. So it's so important, but the job and the working environment should be at the service of that happiness. Yes. And so if there are technologies that make the work lighter, They give you more time for yourself, for your significant others, for your close community. And eventually for for something, for your baby, for your baby, and for something that's bigger than you, then that's fantastic. How can we design the society of the future? Well, technology will help companies so much more to give back time to people so that we can generate a happier society. The end of the book talks about these three steps to be happy and I didn't invent anything, you know, this is human science. The first step is investing yourself and defining that identity that you were talking about earlier, you know, your original point of view. And essentially is the need of differentiating yourself and defining your identity in the world, in society. So the job is a key component of this. The second step is the love you give to others and the close people. So with others in this case, I mean, your family, your friends, your close community, and your colleagues, you give love out, you show that you care to people, you get love back. You do it in a selfless way. You don't do it to receive it back, but because of the nature of the close community, you should receive it back. If it doesn't happen, there is something wrong in the dynamics of the close community. The third step is when you go above and beyond yourself. You transcend yourself. You start to do something that is bigger than you. It's a cause, it's a purpose, and it could be shaped in so many different ways. It's charity work you do in your free time, but all the way to think as a designer that you want to help the design community beyond your company. For instance, in my case right now, I am in a mission to spread this idea of love and kindness and empathy in the world, in society, in companies and corporations. Comments like the one you made earlier is so good to hear a business executive talking about this. This is my mission. We need more business executives to talk about this because it's so important for our society. But the positive news, the good news that is going to make this kind of conversation easier is that now that kind of mindset, that kind of idea of love, care, empathy is also good business. And it was not eventually, it was less 20, 30 years ago. But today, in this hyper competitive world we live in, is good business. And so, this third dimension, transcending yourself, can take different shapes for different people. But it's obvious that you need time for yourself to work on all these dimensions, especially the second and the third. And the more happy people we have in the world, in society, the more productive people, these companies will have too. So there is also this angle that is positive for your company. And usually companies know, the big ones know, the happy people mean more productive right. uh, workforce. But often it's so difficult to mm-hmm. make it happen. And we really need to think, to care, and to introduce this idea of care and love in companies as much as possible.
0: Completely agree. Gosh, there was so much there. The idea of doing something bigger than yourself, the idea that happy people should be the goal. I've spoken about this recently, but I think so many companies have made this mistake during the pandemic of focusing first on how to stay productive instead of how to keep people happy. And it's a fundamental mistake that negatively affects the person and the business. So I'm hoping, Mauro, that they hear you. (laughs)
1: Now, look, for the people that follow me, they know that I am not the typical corporate executives that promote the company. But I tell you, in the case of PepsiCo, I was really impressed by how the CEO, Ramon Laguarta, and the executive team of the company decided to put people first during the pandemic. It was from closing the company. It was one of the first companies that decided to close. For instance, our facility in New York, the design center in New York, was closed right away before the mandate of New York, weeks before. Wow. Putting people at the center was really great to witness this in the company. And I'm mentioning this not to promote PepsiCo, but first of all, because I think there are companies out there that get it. Second, because I witnessed then the impact on the employees. We monitor through surveys and a variety of other tools, the satisfaction of the employees and the the level of happiness, or if you want, you know, of enjoyment of this approach, the fact that everybody felt that the company was very human in that moment. That The show was very human, that there was real care, no matter the complication, no matter the complexity, no matter the difficulties that the company was facing, taking certain decisions wow, I mean, the impact on the loyalty of the people and the happiness level index inside the organization is very visible. And it's something everybody talks about. I mean, you go in the company and everybody talks about the fact that the company was very human during COVID.
0: Yes, we know that PepsiCo is a people first company. You're a work human social recognition client and implemented during the midst of the pandemic because PepsiCo wanted to make sure that its people knew that they were valued. So We know and we love PepsiCo. All right. We've touched on multiple pieces of it in this interview, but is there anything else you'd like to tell our audience about the book before we sign off or anything else you'd like to promote?
1: First of all, this book is a book about innovation, is a book about how to innovate in the business world. But at the end of the day, it's a book that if you do what is written in the book, somehow it's going to generate happiness in your life, transcending the professional job, dimension, the job. is a book that I wrote actually thinking about my daughter before we conceived her. In fact, it's dedicated to her. In the Italian version, there was before she was born, it was dedicated to the people who will come, you know, after my family and oh, the wow. people who will come thinking of her. But why I'm saying this, because in this journey, that is a professional journey, but is a journey of life. You need to be aware of what is important to reach that happiness. And by the way, the message of the book is that also to be innovative for your companies and in the business. You need to be aware of that. So in the book, I talk about these 23 different characteristics of these innovators. I wish that somebody at school from when I was a kid all the way to college would have taught me the importance of these characteristics. I wish I had classes on the power of kindness and why kindness can drive productivity, for instance, not just kindness because it's good for humanity, but it's also good for the business. The power of optimism and curiosity, resilience, and so on and so forth. So if there is one value in this book is that somehow it's going to expose people to these 23 characteristics that in my humble small experience made the difference i am where i am today also because of these characteristics and some of them are totally unexpected because actually in the business world often they tell you the opposite they tell you that kindness is vulnerability is a weakness and you should be a tough and you should be a little bit of a shark i'm telling you that actually there are characteristics like kindness that made completely the difference for me so in the book i talk about them with stories you know to take them to life in a, an engaging way. But mostly, again, thinking about the people listening to us today, awareness about those is really, really important. So writing down all these characteristics and thinking, okay, I'm going to work on it. And I'm going to better myself in all these dimensions because this is what innovators do. There is not the perfect innovator. There is not the perfect unicorn, as I call these people in the book. Your life is a never-ending journey of learning. And growing. And this is what innovators do until the very last day of their life. They don't stop learning in all these different dimensions, becoming kinder and kinder, more optimistic, more resilient, more visionary, more respectful, you know, all these different traits. But everything starts with being aware about what is important and avoiding also misconception about some of these traits that often are neglected or not shared in the right way.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mauro. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.